chapter 4. I have for some time basically been in a series of messages that focused on one word, joy. And it focused on joy, and I believe it's why the Lord led me in this particular direction, because there are so many around us, so many among us, that go through different situations that just take away and zap our strength. We can feel so tired and even beyond tired, so weary sometimes. And it just seems even among the people of God that there are so many that could use some more strength. And yet what's clear to me from the Bible is that it's the joy of the Lord that is our strength. And so I I wanted to do a series on the topic of joy And there was no better place to do that than taking us step by step through Paul's letter to the church, to the people of God in Philippi, giving this letter while he was in prison and yet talking about joy. Last week, we focused on the scripture that truly instructs us and guides our lives to the abundant life that Jesus wants us to have, where he says in chapter four, verse six, be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Essentially, what Paul was telling the church there and what God is telling the church today is worry about nothing, pray about everything. This isn't talking just about the initial reaction that we can have to a situation that is difficult or challenging. Because we all know we're still living in this body and in the flesh. This is about where we live, where our regular um, habit of reaction is. Tough times should lead us to the place of prayer. Unexpected challenges should lead us to the place of prayer. An unforeseen future. Anyone here care to let me know what's going to happen tomorrow? Didn't think so. I did too. But an unseen future should lead us to the foot of the cross and to the place of prayer. Like the old hymn says, I may not know what tomorrow holds, but I know who holds tomorrow. So we come to God in prayer with thanksgiving. And then verse 7 says, and his peace, which will make no sense to the people around us. And quite honestly, often it won't make sense to you or me either will keep us in two important ways. It'll guard our hearts and it'll guard our minds. It'll guard our mental state and it'll guard our emotional state. But how do we get to this place? This is all wonderful concepts and ideas and principles and teaching, but how do we get there? God has promised to give you peace and not peace as the world gives. He's promised to give you his peace. A peace that kept him so focused while facing accusations and facing crucifixion that he was able to ask his father to forgive you and me from the cross. A peace that encourages others while someone is in jail for the awful crime of preaching the gospel and yet he's able to encourage Christians elsewhere. This is the peace of God 
that he gives. He gives peace, but how do we hold on to it? It just seems sometimes we can receive this peace from God, and then we'll get that phone call, or we'll make the mistake of watching the evening news, or we'll talk to a friend who we took the phone call because we figured it would be an encouraging phone call and something went wrong. How do we hold on to this peace? We don't want to be people who, to whom God gives his peace and the next day we lose it, or probably more honestly, the next hour we lose it. Where do we start? The Bible says it starts in our minds. Philippians chapter 4 Verse number eight, finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate or think on these things, the things which you have learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. And the God of peace will be with you. Ever, I know this is an an elite group, so this may not apply to anybody here. But have you ever been really, really mad at somebody? I know you haven't. And it seems that the more you think about it and the more you meditate on it, And the more you dwell on it, whether the thing or the person, the more angry you get. Let me ask you, the more you think about it, did the thing change? It didn't. Thinking about something doesn't make the thing more real. It may change your understanding of it in some way. Or the feelings may become deeper. But dwelling on the person or the situation or the unknown possibilities doesn't change the realities we face. Now, I want to put balance here always. That doesn't mean we don't need to ponder some situations to get a correct perspective on things or a better understanding of things that we need to face. However, we aren't created. God didn't create you. The Lord didn't fashion you and me to be creatures who were ruled by the past. If he did, then that scripture where he says he makes all things new wouldn't make sense. Where Paul says right in this chapter about, no, in chapter 3, about forgetting those things which are behind and pressing forward to those things which are ahead. That wouldn't make sense. Now, yes, actions have consequences. But with Jesus, you can always look forward to tomorrow. But, Pastor, you don't know what today was like, but I know Jesus will be there tomorrow. But, Pastor, you don't know how much I messed up today. But Jesus will be there with you tomorrow. No matter what you've gone through, no matter what you've done, Jesus will be there tomorrow. And that's always something to look forward to. His mercies are new every morning. His love is steadfast and never ceases, Lamentations 3 says. So getting to the place where his peace truly lasts and sustains begins with what we dwell on and fortunately Paul outlines a few areas where we can correct this whatever is true 
Anyone notice there's not a whole lot of truth going on around here today? Just not a lot of things that anybody with any reason in their mind would call true. Or we're told truth, absolute truth anyway, doesn't exist. If it's true for you, then you go right ahead. My Bible says Jesus is the truth, the way, and the life. And Paul says, whatever things are true, when we dwell on the goodness of God, when we dwell on the peace that Jesus gives, when we dwell on the fact that he died for your sins, when we dwell on the fact that when you gave your life to him, he brought you to a place of peace and right standing with God, that when you gave your heart to Jesus, he wrote your name in a book in heaven, and one day is going to welcome you into your heavenly kingdom. That is true and that's something that can change any dark day by dwelling on it he says whatever things are noble or honorable whatever things are just whatever things are pure whatever things are lovely whatever things are and this goes to almost so much of our news today, whatever is of good report. Not awful report, not subjective report, but good report. If there is any virtue, and that can be translated moral excellence, if there's anything praiseworthy out there, dwell there. It's almost like Paul is saying, I get it. The world is messed up. If you can find anything out there, but if you truly look, you will find things, you will find people that you can actually focus your mind on and maintain your peace. The evening news doesn't provide much help in maintaining your peace, does it? The 24-hour news cycle on cable TV doesn't provide much help in maintaining your peace. And I don't know about you, but the overwhelming majority of social media feeds don't provide much help in maintaining your peace. Seems to me, perhaps, that Twitter would be better renamed Bitter. Now, I don't... There are some feeds I do go on. I don't spend much time on Twitter. Earlier this week, I did, not sure why I did, and it just seemed all I found was some people who were either angry, really angry, or really, really angry. (laughs) And all I could sense was anger and hopelessness. But church, there's hope in Jesus. There's hope in Jesus. There's peace in Jesus. Our God is the giver of life. Our God is the giver of love. Our God is the giver of hope. And our God is the giver of a sustaining peace. Not as the world gives, but as God gives. What the world gives is temporary. We were looking at that this past Thursday night in the video where Dr. Evans was talking about that the world will try and give you peace, but 
it'll last as long as the prescription lasts. Or it'll last as long as the drink lasts. Or it'll last as long as the relationship lasts. But the peace that God gives is everlasting. Because it's built and founded on the one who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the giver of sustaining peace. However, what we choose to dwell on, focus on, maintain front and center plays a role in whether that peace he gives hangs around. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 5 says, Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity into the obedience of God. I've learned something in my walk with the Lord, and that's he never asks me to do something that, one, can't be done, and two, I'm going to be able to do on my own. He's going to give me the power, and that means he gives us the power to bring every thought into captivity. But, Pastor, you can't help what you think about. You can't help what you dwell on. You can't help what you dwell on in God's power. You can choose to dwell on love our neighbors as ourselves. You can choose to dwell on bless those who curse you. Pastor, don't mess it up now. I don't want to bless those who curse me. But we give, we're given that power. In God's power, we're given to be the ability to pray for good things to those who hate us and spitefully use us. And to bring every thought into captivity. To be aware of the things that we're dwelling on and to choose to focus on the kingdom of God. Now, if we continue to dwell or entertain thoughts or messages that work against peace, well, as Paul said earlier in this chapter, anxiety shows up. And that's when we start worrying. The things that are occupying my mind, I need to ask, can I give God praise for them? And I have yet to watch an evening news report and say, I can give God praise for that news. The things that are controlling my thoughts, I need to be able to step back, analyze them and say, can I give God praise for them? If not, I need to change my thinking. Church, the world is a mess. I know that might sound profound to you, but it's not. The world is a mess. But you know what? God is good. Our nation is falling apart. But Jesus is still on the throne. What passes for reason today is laughable. But God's word is still the truth. What our culture calls right and our culture calls moral is just simply frightening. But Jesus is still the way, he is still the truth, and he is still the life. And there is nothing that can come out of any institution on this earth that will ever change that. Jesus is truth. And I choose to stay there. I choose to plant myself there. This doesn't make sense to the world. I get that. But this is the wisdom of God. And it's a wisdom that brings joy. There is a wisdom in joy. Some are going to say, but what you're saying is foolishness. No, it's the wisdom of God and there's joy attached to it. 
It not only brings joy, it maintains joy. So how about the power of joy? Philippians chapter 4, verse number 10. That I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again. Though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am in to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. Now you Philippians show also that in the beginning of the gospel when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving but but you only. For even in Thessalonica you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed I have all and abound, I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things you sent me, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. I need to read that again. And my God shall supply your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Now our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul truly loved and loved and enjoyed the support he received from his Philippians brothers and sisters. But even in thanking them for their care, even in letting them know he appreciated all they were doing for him, and he says, in my distress... Through him, the Holy Spirit introduces to us an amazing picture of the power of joy and the power that God gives to the believer in this world, in in this word called contentment. It is a may be at the top of the list of words that this world does not understand. Contentment is not apathy. Contentment is not settling. Contentment is not giving up. Contentment is not giving in. Going back to the original language, contentment literally means being in a place where you can rest with where God has you, despite what's going on around you. You see, our world wants a joy that is tied to the circumstances that we face. But Jesus gives us a joy that is greater than our circumstances because it outlasts our circumstances. Sometimes our circumstances stink. Sometimes they're awful. Paul was in prison. I'm quite sure if we could interview Paul now, he would say, I don't like being in prison. Paul would have done what he needed to do to get out of prison. But while there, he knew he was not alone. While there, he knew even in prison, he could rest in the arms of Almighty God. While there, he knew God was with him. And in God's presence, no matter 
where that presence is, you and I can find rest. Over the years, I've seen and heard the quote from Philippians 4.13 on just about everything. T-shirts, coffee mugs, license plate frames, posters. It's everywhere. And it's usually quoted as a reference to encourage brothers and sisters in the Lord as they're facing a new challenge. It's usually used to encourage them that if there's a mountain in your way, it doesn't matter because you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. It's usually used to encourage to stand again those people, stand against those people in your life who would tell you you can't when Jesus is saying you can. And all of that to me is valid. We should encourage people. Because when God says you can, it doesn't matter who says you can't. But I want to look at the context of what, Jesus, of what Paul is saying when he says, I can do all things through Christ that gives me strength. He's not talking about a mountain. He's talking about being hungry and then being full. He's talking about having many needs and then having everything he wants. He's talking about being brought low or abased or talking about being free as a bird. His point is that situations or circumstances do not control or dictate the joy and the peace I experience. Now, some are going to say, well, if you have everything, of course you're going to have joy. How many people know someone who has everything and they're still miserable? They have so many things. We see celebrities all the time, and they seem to appear to have anything anyone could want except joy. Because they need Jesus. When I trust his hand, I'm not being unrealistic. I'm learning the greatest reality in the universe, that I can be content no matter what's going on in my life. I've shared the story from many years ago when I lost my job. We were at home discussing that story recently, and my son called it the Goldilocks story because I was first in Wisconsin where it was too cold, and then I was in Texas where it was too hot, and then I came home to New York where it was just right. I never looked at it that way, but it's true. But what I had to learn each step of the way was that in every situation I am in, I needed to be content to rest in the arms of Almighty God. The situations we're in are not what we're resting in. Some of them are awful. They're ones we would, with every prayer and every ounce of our being, we would change for anything. But God is there with us. When I don't fall apart in certain situations that other people say I should, I'm not being false. I'm not being dishonest. I'm trying to focus on the truth, and his name is Jesus. And when I rest in God, I'm not being passive. Don't, don't mistake when you don't see me fall apart to things as being passive. I'm trying to walk in power. 
the power that God gives in joy. The joy of the Lord really is my strength. So then I can say the joy of the Lord really is power. And with him, I can do all things. I can go through all things. And the part that not a whole lot of shouting goes on for, I can put up with all things. See, I knew it would get quiet. See, we want to conquer all things. We want to overcome all things. We might even want to pass through fires as long as we know we're passing through. It's the putting up with stuff that can slow us down. Especially when what we're putting up with is the nonsense in other people. The church, my Bible says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. But you know, that person at work is really, God blessed them. I know God created them. I know they're in the image of God. But they're really just not a very nice person. I changed from what I was going to say in calling them an idiot. But they're not a nice person. And I just can't be around them. You can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. But you know, Pastor, my next door neighbor is not a nice person. They do things that would drive anybody crazy. They're always messing up the neighborhood. They're not keeping things the way they should be done. I can't deal with it. You can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. And he does give that strength. What is the benefit of this type of thinking and living? Well, a peace and a joy that you and I can live in each and every day. And a promise. How many of the promises of God are real? A promise in verse 19 where he says, And my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. When you and I don't try and make things happen in our own emotions, when you and I don't try and force issues that God is working out in his time, when you and I rest in him in godly contentment that isn't apathy, that isn't giving up, we have a promise that he will supply all of our needs according to his riches, not according to our timetable or our wants, but according to his riches. And how many know God is rich? He's, he's, he's well off. Our God didn't need a stimulus check. He will supply all of our needs according to his riches and glory. Now, the problem with most people, and sadly, even with some Christians, is that he's not going to supply your greeds. He's going to supply your needs. But doesn't God know I need that brand new BMW? Doesn't he know I need that 2021 Mercedes? No, you don't. I'm quite sure the world will not stop spinning if you keep driving the car you got. But doesn't God know I need $10 million right now? Brother, sister, I'm there with you. 
I'd be okay if God dropped that in my lap. But you know what? I don't need it. What I need is more of Jesus. What I need is to know him more in the power of his resurrection and in the fellowship of his sufferings. And I know, I know my God will supply all my needs according to his riches and glory. That's something to shout about, church. That's something to witness about, church. That's something to rest in. And keeping in the theme of this message, that's something to dwell on. All of us go through different situations. Some have gone through severe tragedy that has escalated in short periods of time. Some of us, like what I went through years ago, it was a challenge that then got extended over a long period of time. But I can tell you God is real. And he was never far away. There were times I would call out to God and ask, what are you doing? And he would just tell you, I'm right here. I'm right here. And that's where you learn that his presence is as desirable as his power. His presence, what do we say, brings fullness of joy. Don't we want that fullness today? That strength that brings joy. That peace that the world looks at us funny. The world looks at us funny anyway. They look at us as strange anyway. You mean you go to church on Sunday? Yeah. Almost all the Sundays? Yeah. You actually give them money? Yeah. You actually go more than once a week? Yeah. You actually live this thing in your home? Yeah. You actually believe that there was someone called Jesus? Yeah. You know, they're going to look at you strange anyway. So while you're looking at me strange, also notice that I have a joy you don't have. I have a peace you don't have. I have a calmness in my heart you don't have. And it's because of the Jesus that you can have but choose not to. So I'm going to dwell in the secret place of the Almighty. And that's where I'm going to find joy. Stand with me, please.